Hey, family. How you doing? All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, why don't we stand together as we step into worshiping our God? We're going to begin with a song we haven't sung before. It's all about testimony and remembering the good things that God has done for us and declaring them to one another. And I wanted to open up with some scripture that does just that. In the Psalms, it says, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. In Isaiah, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Dr. Luke says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me in his holy name. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully, it says in 1 Samuel, with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. In Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. In 2 Corinthians, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Back in Exodus, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And it says in the Gospel of John this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Amen, church? Oh! It goes like this. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over Is my name is registered in heaven hey. I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power Yes I do Still the miracle that I just can't get over Is my name is registered in heaven. Oh, my praise belongs to you forever. Oh, this is my testimony from death to life. Cause grace rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. Together, sons and daughters, walk with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what we started. Yes, our God will finish what we started. This is my testimony from death to life. We wrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. Hi, Northland. 
God is still working on us. Listen to this. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things still to come. Oh, I believe. Sing it out. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things still to come.
Amen, amen. We all may be seated. Hey, Northland family. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Whether you're joining us in person, online, or from the Seminole County Jails, Bridges of America, or the Ponsonlet Home Church, we're so glad to have you here today. If this is your very first time here, welcome. We want to get to know you. After the service, find someone with an orange lanyard or text Northland to 97000. We are so excited to be collecting school supplies to support tools for Seminole schools this weekend. If you haven't dropped off your supplies yet, make sure to leave them at the bus out front. If you forgot to bring some supplies, no worries. We'll be collecting supplies for the next week. If you're here in person, you may have noticed the difference in the rink's roof when you drove in. The roof replacement began this past Monday, August 1st. This entire process is expected to take two to four weeks to complete. This project would not have been possible without your generosity through our Raise the Roof Giving campaign back in June. We are already putting your funds to use. In addition to the roof, improvements are already underway in the children's worship wing. We've got fresh paint on the walls and we'll be replacing the carpet over Christmas break. We are so excited to be entering this new season in the life of our church. Speaking of new seasons, we are also excited to welcome Randy Kemp to our staff as Director of Access Ministries. Randy and his family have attended Northland for many years and have been personally impacted by this ministry. Randy looks forward to serving Access Ministries and allowing God to be glorified through the special needs community. Next weekend, we are hosting our next Now. That's our night of worship. This one is extra special because we're going to focus on serving. There are several areas of our ministry that are in urgent need of volunteers, one of which is our small groups, which need more individuals to step up to be leaders. Let's learn a little more about this event from Pastor Josh. I'm so excited to come to Northland today. I hear they have a new pastor. People have been telling me to come see him. Yeah. Can I have church today? All right, finally got some doors that are open. Oh, I wonder who's going to get that phone. Hello? Uh, well, yes, the, you, you did call Northland Church. Yeah, Northland, N-O-R-T-H-L-A-N-D, Northland Church. My name is Josh. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. All right, Northland, well, that was kind of fun to dramatize what it might be like to come to church and not be greeted by anyone. And so there's the phone ringing again. Hang on one second. Northland Church, how may I help you? Hi, uh, is the bookstore open today? Uh, the bookstore is open, and the bookstore is open until 4.30 today. The whole idea of towel holder, it was from John 13 months ago when I preached. And we saw how Jesus really does embody the ministry of the towel. And if you remember the main point, which this is really one of the only messages I can really remember the main point, but the ministry of the towel makes the world go wow. And that's one of the things that we really want to do August 14th for our towel holder rally is that we want to rally all of those who are serving all of our current towel holders and 
all of those who want to serve in some capacity. And so there's going to be so many areas that you can get involved in if you're not already. And so, hey, Northland, hey, we really want to make a deep and wide impact here in Seminole and Orange County. And the only way we can make a deep and wide impact is through our service. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. If you're not serving somewhere, you, you need to, you, hey, you need to get your butt off the seat and you need to get into service. And so, uh, yeah, you can tell, you can tell your neighbor, yeah, you know, Pastor Josh told you to get your butt out of the seat and into service. And so I look forward to what we can do together as we move forward to the best days that lie ahead because of what God is doing in our midst. Blessings. Okay. It's northlandchurch.net slash Northland, yeah, Northland Church. <laughs> and that really happened. I, undoubtedly, I have a very thick accent, and she's like, Are you saying Northland? Or what is, you know, Northland? You know, so, anyways, it was, it was pretty funny with the phone that just kept on interrupting the video shoot there. But, in all seriousness, towel holders, that's really what's going to make a huge impact, not only in our midst, but also outside of our midst. And so if you aren't serving anywhere in any capacity, you are invited also to our towel holder rally next weekend, and you can find an area that might fit you in serving. And so leave your seat and move into service if you are already, uh, if you're not already doing so. Well, hey, I want to introduce you to one other family. You were introduced to the Kemp's, and so we're excited to have uh, Randy join us for the Director of Access, our Special Needs Ministry. But I want I want to set up the next family a little bit because when I got here. The governing elder said, you, you, you might want to start thinking about hiring an executive pastor. I'm like, well, let, let me get there first. Let me kind of get a lay of the land. Let me see where the church is. And let me, let's kind of get settled just a little bit. And, and then we'll, we'll tackle it. So I got here and within a month, I'm looking at all of the things that need to happen and where we need, uh, to, uh, need help. And so I tell them, all right, I'm going to start praying. I need you to start praying as well. And I actually, you know, kind of texted my friend, Derwin, who is an executive pastor in Atlanta. We've known each other for almost 10 years. I said, I know that you in Jacqueline, you're, you're from Central Florida. Would you, you have any desire to maybe move back to Central Florida because I'm in need of an executive pastor? And he told me no, and he hung up the phone. And so uh, I was like, well... Uh, I don't take no for an answer, you know, very easily. And so I started texting, calling, and I'm like, bro, I need you to think and pray about it. He finally got to the point where he would pray about it. And then one thing led to another, and we had Derwin and Jackie come down, spend some time with the governing elders, let them get to know one another, ask questions, because I wanted the governing elders to be on board with the person that we brought on, because uh, that's just the way I operate. I feel like that's good leadership. Like, I love leadership. I teach organizational leadership and personal leadership development for Wheaton College, and so it's something that I, des- you know, that I, that I desperately love doing, and so I just needed somebody to help me partner in Derwin answered the call. And so I want to kind of bring out the Andersons and introduce you to your new executive pastor to the lead pastor, Derwin. 
And so you have Derwin, Jacqueline, Simone, did I say Sebastian? Okay, Sebastian, Simone, Shiloh, and Sheridan. And so they are true friends of ours. And so I'm going to ask my family to come up as we pray for them. You know, I've been, I've been joking around every gathering. Like, so Joni and Jacqueline, they're, they're, I mean, they're really good friends. They text, they, they talk to each other into the wee hours of the night. You know, for the longest time over the last like eight years or so, I would text Derwin and Dally, but he was just too busy or I wasn't important enough at that point. And so he would just ghost me and I would call and leave a message. And maybe about two, three weeks later, he might call me back. Hey man, I got your call. And I'm like, I called like last year anyways, but I'm not bitter. And I'm not, you know, I'm not holding grudges and uh, maybe, 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 but I, I want the church to know how much I love this man and how much I love this family. And I'm so excited to not only be doing life, but ministry with him. And so he really will be my right hand man and I'm grateful for it. And so church, will you stand, extend your hand as we lay hands on the Andersons and pray for them and their ministry here. Father, I'm, I'm so grateful for uh, my friend and my friends joining my family, not only my biological family, but my church family in ministry here in Central Florida. Father, I pray that you would fill them, empower them to do what you have called them to do here. I pray that they would find that this season and this station of ministry will be one of great flourishing. Not just functioning, but flourishing. Father, I pray for our church family that they would rally around them and that they would love them well and they would even serve them well. Father, I pray together that you would do far more abundantly than we could ever ask, think, or imagine because of, of who you are working in and through us and our faithfulness. So may we be faithful. So Spirit, I pray that we would be filled with you so that we might accomplish what you have put here, put us here to accomplish. I pray for the Derwin uh, family and uh, I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would protect their marriage. I pray for their kids. You pr protect their hearts. And Father, may they find here and experience the joy of heaven. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Awesome. Love y'all. And at this time, what we're going to do, because school starts back for most people this coming week. Anybody excited about school starting back? All the parents. Yeah, that's who's excited. Yeah. Well, we're wanting to pray for the students and teachers, so I'm going to invite some leaders out here now. And they're going to lead us through a, an intentional time of praying for the students and the leaders. So give it up for our student leaders. Before we pray, um, I would like for you to stand. If you are a teacher, a school staff, or a school administrator, please stand. And if you are a student, pre-K through college, if you're a student, please stand with us.
And then I'd like you just to remain standing um, as we pray. Let's pray. God, we love you and we worship you for your great wisdom and knowledge. We are made in your image with an amazing capacity to learn and understand. God, we worship you for being our teacher. You patiently lead and guide us into all truth. Thank you, God, for providing us with students to teach. We humbly ask that you will equip all teachers in such a way that our students would flourish. Thank you, God, for giving us teachers who are willing to teach us. We pray for your protection over our teachers. Help us as students to show them respect and work hard at school. God, would you please protect each student as they grow and learn? Help them to be patient with themselves, but also be conscientious and excited to learn. God, would you give our teachers a fresh wind to be excited about teaching? Give them creativity and skill as they help us learn. And God, may our teachers, staff, and administrators who follow you be good examples of Jesus in all they do at their school. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and keep them close to you. God, may students who follow you be good examples of Jesus in all they do at their school. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and keep them close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Aldra, Talia, um, fun times getting, getting to go back to school, back to school. Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we have two more weeks left in our series, Transitions. Does anybody remember the Sunday we started this series? Only anybody remember? What, what, what was it? What's, what Sunday? Easter Sunday. Yeah, all right. I mean, you guys, like, it was same, same from the 11 or the 9 o'clock and the 5 o'clock yesterday. You just don't, we, I can doubt we've been in this series way too long. But we started, we, we, we started Easter Sunday and we have two more weeks. Now, next week, I'm going to give you the commercial. You will not want to miss next week. We will be looking at how do you transition as the people of God into, into a land that doesn't feel like home. So I know that over the last few years, maybe even a couple of decades, the church, many, uh, many people in the church, they have, feel, they have felt uncomfortable with what's happening in our society and in our culture. And so next week, we will look at how do we make that transition well for the glory of God and the good of the world. So you will not want to miss it. It's probably one of the most important, if not the most important message in this series because of how timely it is. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want to go ahead and give you that commercial. Well, this morning we will deal with pain, suffering, and loss one more time. Now, if you recall, we've already dealt with it several times throughout the series. We looked at Naomi when she lost all of her family. We looked at Jesus calming the storm. We looked at Paul and Silas and them singing songs to God in their dark night. And I felt like we needed to tackle it one more time, pain, suffering, and loss from a different perspective and a different angle. Because I, I know that when we're in a transition that involves pain, suffering, and loss, there, there's a tendency to want to stop the pain and suffering. I don't think anybody enters into a season of pain and suffering like, man, I, I love it. Let me just go through some pain and suffering. No, you don't. You, you, you would like to stop it if you could. 
And then there's a tendency to get stuck in the pain and suffering and the loss because just the pain of moving forward is just too much. So I understand that that's the tendency to either want to stop it or you get stuck in it. And so that's the reason why I feel like let's deal with it one more time from a different angle, a different perspective. Now, as I was thinking about where we were going to go this morning, I remember a chart that my wife shared with me a few years back because for 15 years, my wife was a ER nurse. And so this is how she would kind of triage patients. So somebody walks into the ER, she's triaging them. She's like, does it hurt a little bit? Does it hurt a lot? Where are you on your pain scale? Now, just FYI, when it, when it comes to the, the pain tolerance that I have, my wife says I do not have a very high threshold for pain. And so I remember a couple years ago when I got COVID, I got the OC, that's the original COVID. It was, it was, it was pretty bad. And I remember a couple of days into it, I'm like, this is painful. This is awful. I'm, 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 so, I'm, I'm hurting so bad. I can't swallow. And my wife's like, you need a, you need a, and so she, and, and I won't tell you all the things that she told me that day, but uh, she told me to quit crying. Uh, she told me to grow up and, and I'm like, but it really does hurt a lot. And she's like, it's not an eight. It might be a two, uh, but and, and, and the, reason why, the reason why I share this chart with you is because whenever you go through pain and suffering, it, it might be worthwhile to just triage your pain. Just triage your pain. Like, so for instance, let's say you get on a flight today going from Orlando to Atlanta and you get stuck in the middle seat. Like that's not an eight on, on the pain scale. That might, that might be a two, especially if you get next to a toddler. Might be, but it's not, it's not an eight. Like, you know, guys, if you're walking you know, across the living room and you step on the Lego, that's not a six, all right? That, that, that's a zero. I know it hurt, but hey, you know, grow up. It'd be all right. It, uh, maybe, you know, when I think about you not making the team, all right, that, that might emotionally be a six. That might be an eight. You might be devastated. Maybe if you are dealing with a miscarriage, that might be an eight. That might be a 10. Maybe you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, and that might be emotionally an eight or a 10, depending on how close you were to them. Like, I understand the things that happen in our life that bring about pain, suffering, and loss. Like, if we triage them, I understand that there will be times where it is a six, where it is an eight, where it is a 10, and it's okay to just identify the pain level that you are experiencing. Josh, is there a working definition of pain and suffering? Yeah, there actually is. Let me, let me give you my working definition of pain and suffering. It's the light to severe emotional and or physical discomfort we feel when life doesn't go according to our plans, dreams, intentions, and expectations. So it's the light to severe emotional and or physical discomfort. So when life doesn't go according to your plans, to your dreams, and you start experiencing these, these, this, this discomfort, whether it's emotional or physical, that's pain, that's suffering. And when that happens, well, we're trying to process why is it happening? Why are we going through this? What, what's happening in our life? And, I, and that's why I love what Peter Berger, the sociologist, here's what he stated. 
Every culture has provided an explanation of human events that bestows meaning upon the experiences of pain and suffering. In other words, every single person on planet Earth, every culture, every nation, every tongue, they've tried to process pain and suffering. They've tried to explain why are we going through suffering? Is there a purpose in our suffering? Is there something that that pain and suffering is doing in our life? Every culture. This is a human problem, not just an American one. And so some various ways people have tried to process or tried to cope with suffering is a few ways. Now, one might be a religious way. We actually see this in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Job. They would just say, Job, you're, you're experiencing pain and suffering because you've sinned. You've done something wrong. So you haven't lived rightly. Therefore, you're experiencing pain and suffering. Well, we know even in the book of Job, that was wrong. He hadn't sinned. He hadn't done anything wrong. But yet, he experienced pain and suffering. Then there are... People who would say, and this is more a a Buddhist thing, I've not connected, I have not disconnected my inner being with my external being. And because I have some unfulfilled desires, I experience suffering. So therefore, what they would say is that you need to get in touch with your inner being and detach it from the material realm so that you don't experience suffering or pain anymore. That's what a Buddhist would say. Then a Hindu would say, well, it's just karma. And I understand that that is the language that many of our younger people have in this generation. It's just karma. Let me tell you this. The Bible does not believe in karma. So if you've caused pain, you've caused you know, suffering in someone else, it's going to come back to you. That's what a Hindu would say is karma. You had it coming because you caused it in someone else's life. We do not believe in karma as believers. And then there are some people that would just say, you're the victim of the cosmic forces at war. So it's kind of like some Star Wars saga thing. You have uh, good and evil, they're fighting together. And so we are collateral damage in that war. And, and the manifestation of that collateral damage would be pain and suffering because we're caught up in this cosmic war. So it's not our fault. We're just collateral damage. And then a secular, more secular view would have suffering is just a random and freak accident. There's no purpose, no intent to it. Therefore, you just need to be better equipped to lessen or to eliminate the causes of pain. Regardless of how people are trying to process or cope with or understand pain and suffering, I I do think that there is some legitimacy to the five stages of grief. So especially if you have dealt with the loss of someone or something, you're going to go through the five stages of grief, which is denial. You're just trying to deny it. It even happened. So you're trying to forget. You're trying to stuff those emotions or stuff those thoughts down. And then if you start wrestling with if it really did happen, then you're going to start getting angry about it. And many times you're going to blame God. You're going to blame somebody else. You're just angry because of what you are feeling. And then you enter into depression. And this is where I actually feel like most people get and they get stuck. And therefore they walk around functionally depressed from their grief. They're functioning and they have a high functioning 
but they are still depressed. And then they move into bargaining. Well, well, God, if you do this, or hey, if, if this happens, then I'll do this, or I'll, I'll kind of move on with my life. You start bargaining your way out of pain and suffering. And then you get to finally acceptance. That's the last stage. And it's the most important one because it means if you, if you arrive at acceptance, it means that you have processed your loss in a way that has brought about peace and comfort to your life. And this is the reason why I would dare say that many don't even get to this stage because they don't. And here's the reason why. Don't miss this. The reason why many people in our culture and around the world never get to stage five is because they don't have a doctrine. They don't have a belief. They don't have a theology that can give them the peace and the comfort that they need to process the loss, to process the pain and suffering. But what we will see this morning is that the Bible gives us the doctrine. It gives us the belief. It gives us the theology we need to receive hope and comfort in the midst of great loss. And so if you're ready for the main point, say you ready. ready. Here's the main point. Sufferers have a host of questions. The Savior has honest answers. When we go through pain and suffering, we have a lot of questions. I get it. And we'll see some of those questions this morning in this text in John 11. But I want us to see how the Savior has honest answers. And this is the reason why I say honest. They, they might not eradicate, they might not eliminate your pain and suffering, but they're honest. They might not be what you want to hear, but they're honest. So we have a host of questions. Our Savior has honest answers. And so question number one, I'm in need, can you help? I'm in need, can you help? So in John 11, let me set up the context. We have three siblings Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And they were very close friends of Jesus. And Lazarus, he gets sick and he gets ill and he's not getting any better. And we pick up that story in verse three. The sisters, so Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So basically what they're saying, they're sending a message, they're texting Jesus, they're calling him, leaving a voicemail. Hey, Jesus, hey, want to let you know that Lazarus, the one that you love, remember the one that you're close to, the one that you have great affection for, you and him are best buds. Hey, he's sick. He's not getting any better. So we're in need. Can you help? Anytime we experience and we go into transition of pain and suffering and loss, we begin, we typically begin here. I'm in need. Can you help? Uh, Jesus. And for believers, we tend, we tend to go to Jesus. We, can't, we tend to go to God when we are entering into that kind of transition. And so we'll go to him. Hey, we're in financial stress. Can you help? My child is sick. Can you help? My marriage is in shambles. Can you help. Hey, my cancer just came back. Can you help? I just lost my job. Can you help? My heart is broken because of what has happened. Can you help? And I could go on and on, but whenever we experience, whenever we enter into this painful transition, we're immediately going to God going, can you help? 
Now here's Jesus's response. I will help in my own timing, in my own way, and purposefully for the glory of God. Now notice that. He doesn't show up when we want him to show up. He doesn't do what we're asking him to do when we're asking him to do it. And it's not, it's not us at the center of what he's doing. It's the glory of God. Now, I know that's an honest answer, but that's what he's, that's what he's sharing here in this passage. Let's look in verse four. So when Jesus heard this, here's what he said. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was. How many more days? Hello, McFly. Jesus sent you the message. You didn't come running. It reminds me. It reminds me of when Joni and my honeymoon phase ended. Now, you know what I mean by the honeymoon phase, right? It's, all, it's the phase where you're all googly-eyed. You're like, oh, this is amazing. Why did we get married sooner? This is a oh, oh, wow. Now, this, this Wednesday, we will have been married 19 years. But I, but I remember you. Can't believe I put up with her that long. I'm just joking. I can't believe she put up with me that long. Um, but, I, but I remember when our honeymoon phase ended, and I was still in school. Joni had graduated because I married a sugar mama, so she was putting me, you know, my parents are like, yeah, wow, I got, you know, my son got a wife, putting him through college, this is amazing. But so I'm, I'm sitting there typing a paper. I finished the paper, and it was before the time where you just emailed your professor the, the finished product, and so I needed to print it out. And so I yell in the other room. I'm like, hey, babe, I, I'm out of ink. Can, can you run Office Max and get some more ink for me? And then I, I hear her pipe up, and she's like, go get your own ink. I graduated college two years ago. <laughs> I know she didn't. And she did. So here I am like, babe, uh, I'm, I'm in need of help. Can, can, can you help me? And she tells me no. And so I go to Office Max and I get my own ink. And our honeymoon phase was over. <laughs> so here Martha and Mary are. They're sending a request to Jesus. Hey, I, we, we need some help. And Jesus doesn't answer them the way they thought he should. Church, you need to come in for this because this, this will free you, I think. Jesus isn't our genie. He's our God. Amen. And I understand we, we live in a society and a culture where we want God to be our genie. But if he was our genie, he couldn't be our God. Because if he was our genie, we would be his God. And we make crappy gods. And so for Mary and Martha, this is a transition that they're having to deal with. And they're having to even deal with disappointments because God's not showing up on their timetable. Now this brings me to a point too that we need to ponder early on in our seasons of pain or early on in what I call our seasons of trouble. Seasons of trouble are times for transformation. 
Seasons of trouble are times for transformation. You remember? I don't know why. Well, I, I don't think you do remember because it was Easter Sunday, and I asked you when the, se- when the when the series started, and you're like, I don't know. But on Easter Sunday, I said every transition there is a transformation, and you only have two options in what you are being transformed into. You are either being transformed more into the image of Adam in your fallen nature, or you're being transformed more into the image of Jesus in your redeemed nature. And when it comes to seasons of pain and suffering and loss, when it comes to seasons of trouble, you are being transformed into someone, either Adam or Jesus. And I think we would all, we would all agree that when we go through pain, suffering and loss, we are actually being transformed the most in the valley than on the mountaintop. And so here's my question. Who are you being transformed into even in your seasons of trouble? Now, here's some things that we learn about Jesus in our pain and suffering. Just because God doesn't show up when we want or how we want doesn't mean he's not listening. He's listening. He got the memo. He got the message. He heard them. Like he hears you church. He he hears you online. He hears you. He's not deaf. He hears you. Second, experiencing pain and suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Look at verse five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So just because they were going through pain and suffering, just because they experienced loss doesn't mean that God didn't love them. He loves you. He hears you, he loves you, and then last, just because we experience pain and suffering doesn't mean that God isn't in control. He was very much in control. He's sitting there telling the disciples, hey, this sickness isn't going to lead to death. Well, well, when they get there, well, I thought it wasn't going to lead to death. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. He's not fretting. He's not worried. So the truth is, God is ultimately working out a greater plan, which leads me to this idea that there is purpose in your pain. There's purpose. Like, I love what Tim Keller says. Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra-karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it, And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you could ever imagine. Now, Christianity, the Bible teaches that. So what are the purposes of pain in light of God's glory? Well, I think there are at least four. Pain presents problems. Like, that's the reason why I think sometimes we need to sit in the pain. We need to sit in the suffering We need to really experience it. We don't need to numb our heart, numb our lives from pain and suffering because pain presents problems. That's why C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world because here's what pain does. It tells us that the world should not be this way. And it shouldn't. But pain presents those problems. Pain prompts feelings of powerlessness. Like I said earlier, let me ask I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, I don't think any of us, maybe 0.0001% of people like get up and go, I can't wait to feel some pain today. Nobody does that. 
Like if we could, if you could, if I could, we'd stop the pain. We'd stop the suffering. We would stop our loved ones from dying. So what pain actually does, it makes us realize of how powerless we are. And then pain can be a pathway to salvation. Now notice I said pathway. It's a pathway to salvation. In our pain, we don't save anybody. But in how we deal with our pain, it can be a pathway for how God would reach and save someone else. And then pain can be someone else's provision. Pain can be someone else's provision. I love how Rebecca Carpenter, she's a member here at Northland, years ago in her loss, she wrote a book to help other people in their loss. Because what she does is she sees her pain as someone else's provision to help them cope with their suffering and loss. So there are some purposes of pain in light of God's glory. Question number two. I'm mad, where are you? I'm mad, where were you? We see in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha gets to Jesus and she says, if you'd been here, now again, I'm, I'm using this tone intentionally on, on purpose because I think Martha was this kind of person. I think she was an Enneagram three, maybe eight. She was a high D. She was an ENTJ. I mean, she's wired tight. And you go, how do you know that? Well, you remember the story where Martha, she's in the kitchen. Mary's out in the living room hanging out with Jesus. And Martha gets all, all in the tizzy because Mary's out there hanging out with Jesus. So she walks out there in the living room. She's like, Jesus, you going to tell Mary to come help me in the kitchen? And Jesus said, no, no, I ain't. <laughs> and so I think she's up. She's that kind of person. She's wound tight. You know those kind of people? Don't point to them. All right. But Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So I know what, listen, I blame you, Jesus, but I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She, f she was mad at Jesus that he didn't show up, and she wanted to know. She wanted him to explain himself of where he was. I love what C.S. Lewis in his book, A Grief Observed, pins after the loss of his wife to cancer. This is the greatest uh, apologist of the 20th century here are the words he pens in his loss. Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms when you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. When everything is going great, you're like, ooh, this couldn't get better. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. 
The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? This is C.S. Lewis. He's like, where's God? I'm mad at you. You didn't show up. I came to your door. I was knocking. I wanted you to come out. I wanted you to help me. But then I heard you locking the door. Then you double bolted it. And then you shut off the lights and you were nowhere to be found. It's the way it is in our pain and suffering. Church, it is natural. It is natural to question the whereabouts of God in our times of pain, suffering, and loss. And I want you to notice how Jesus does not condemn Martha in her interrogation of him. It's fine. I'm giving you license to ask God, where was he when your child died? Where was he when you got cancer? Where was he when your marriage fell apart? I'm giving you complete freedom because what we see here is that Jesus has given humans complete freedom to ask why and where were you? But you need to be okay when he responds with truth. Ask him where all day long. But you need to be okay when he responds with truth. And here's Jesus' response. I am hope arrived, and I have come to reverse the curse of sin. I am hope arrived, and I've come to reverse the curse of sin. In other words, I'm here to make all things new. Martha, and your, your brother will rise again, to which Martha responds, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And here's what Jesus says to her, her in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? She says, I do believe that. So here's the concept of resurrection. It was a revolutionary theology, a revolutionary doctrine. As one scholar noted, it spoke of God's determination to bring about a new exodus, a new return from exile, the great liberation from oppression and slavery, the liberation of which Israel longed to experience. Resurrection, it also meant a future time when the people of God would experience real entry into the ultimate promised land, when God would turn the world right side up, when God would overthrow all of the governments and fully establish his rule and reign on planet earth, a future time when God would make every wrong a right, a future time when death would experience death, a future time when God would make all things new and give his children a new body devoid of the effects of sin and death. That was the doctrine of resurrection. And what Jesus is telling Martha, it's not just a theory. It's not just a belief. It's not some just abstract thought that is out there somewhere in the future. No, He's in front of you. That reality, that future reality is your present reality. You are seeing the resurrection in front of you. So what he's declaring to Martha in her pain and in her suffering, in her grief and her loss, 
I'm the one who will reverse the curse of death. I'm the one who will right all wrongs. I'm the one who will make all things new. I will be the one that leads God's people ultimately into the new promised land. I will destroy the sting of death. I will turn the world right side up. And I, I have come to make all things new. Martha, that's me. I am. But he, but he doesn't just say that he's the resurrection, but he's also the life. So true life, so, so we have a reality out there when all things will be made new, but even now we can experience, we can get a glimpse of that life right now. That if you want to experience what it means to be fully human, if you want to experience full life, abundant life, you cannot find it anywhere outside of Jesus. No Jesus, no resurrection in life. No Jesus, no hope. No Jesus, no comfort or peace. Ultimate comfort and peace. And we need to sit in that church because like I said, at the very, at the very beginning, there are a lot of other philosophies there are a lot of other religions. There are a lot of other beliefs out there, but only Jesus can fully satisfy what our hearts long for, which is new. And so Jesus looks into the heart of Martha and says, I'm your future hope and your present reality. So I love Mandisa's song, He Is With You. He is with you when your faith is dead and you can't even get out of bed or your husband doesn't kiss you anymore. He is with you when your baby's gone and your house is still and your heart's a stone crying, God, what did you do that for? He's with you. He is with you in the conference room when the world is coming down on you and your wife and kids don't know you anymore. He is with you in the ICU when the doctors don't know what to do and it scares you to the core. He is with you. He is with you when your kids are grown, when there's too much space and you feel all alone and you're worried if you got it right or wrong. Yes, he is with you when you've given up on ever finding your true love, someone who makes you feel like home. He is with you. And that's what Jesus is telling Martha. Listen, I'm here. I'm with you. I am the resurrection and the life. You can have life. You can have peace. You can have comfort even right now in the face of death because he's not fully dead. And then question number three. You, you ready for question number three? Okay, I'm hurt, do you care? I'm hurt, so. so I'm in need, can you help? I'm mad, where were you? Third, I'm hurt, do you care? So what Jesus told Martha at least brought a, her enough comfort to go back into the house. So she leaves Jesus, she goes back into the house and she tells Mary, hey, the master, the teacher, he's calling for you. And so now Mary grabs her things and she runs out to meet Jesus. In verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, look at what she did. She fell at his feet. Martha didn't do that. See, that's where I'm like, Martha, 
I think she's angry. She's mad. And she even adds the ending and says, well, I know what you, whatever, whatever you ask God, he'll, he'll do it for you. Here, Mary's so broken, she's so sad. Here's what she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I think she's just completely beside herself, sobbing and crying. Talk about the need to grieve. Church, you know it's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel the grief. It's okay to feel the loss. It's okay to sit in it. You need to do that. It's part of the healing process. It's part of the transition. But as 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 says, that we do not grieve as believers, as those who have no hope. You see, Jesus doesn't tell you to suck it up. He doesn't tell you to move on. He doesn't tell you to quit crying or quit sobbing. But here's how he does respond to Mary. I feel your pain. I grieve with you in your pain. And just hold tight and I'll redeem your pain. That's what he says. That's what he tells Mary. See, in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, he, he saw her like, sir, ma'am, he, he sees you. He sees your crying. He sees your sobbing. He sees your broken heart. And the Jews who had come along with her, he also saw them weeping. And he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And this, this is the shortest verse in all of the Bible. So therefore, you can memorize it. Jesus. So not only does he see, now he's entering into their grief. He's entering into their pain. They're crying, he cries. They're sobbing, he's sobbing. He's greatly troubled because they're greatly troubled. There's this chart that I came across years ago designed by a California, California high school psychologist, Robert Shelton, and he labels the difference, differences between pity and sympathy and empathy and compassion. So pity says, I acknowledge your suffering. Jesus acknowledged. Remember the first message? He acknowledged their suffering. And then sympathy says, I care about your suffering. So I, so I see your suffering. I, I care about it. So we see that Jesus sees their pain. He sees their suffering. Empathy says, I feel your suffering. We see Jesus do that he begins to cry but then compassion says I want to relieve your suffering oh church I, I, I love this I love it you know why because what God what religion what philosophy on the face of planet earth has a God who says I have come to completely relieve you of your pain and suffering Because what he's about to do, he's about to go to work and he's about to relieve their pain and suffering. The cross, that's why the cross is central to Christianity. The cross is how Jesus paid our price. Yes. So now we can be reconciled to God, that we have the hope of redemption. We have the hope of eternal life. And the reason why that happened is because Jesus entered into our pain so that he could ultimately relieve one day our pain. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Could you imagine you're, you're the crowd? What, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? No, no, no. He's been dead four days. A lot of stinkiness in there. Don't do it. Don't do it. Hey, Jesus, you, you're, you're bringing back all of these emotions. Stop that. 
But he has the stone rolled away. After he prayed, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Now, I want you to church, I want you to do this. You, this, is, this is why we got to enter into the text. I want you to put yourself in Martha and Mary's shoes. You're mad, you're hurt, you're angry, you're sobbing, you're brokenhearted. And the next thing you know, your brother's coming out of the grave. Your mourning has been turned into dancing. Your sadness into gladness, your hurt into happiness, your pain into pleasure, your gloom into grandeur, your darkness into light, your sorrow into joy, your silence into singing, and your grief into glory. Only Jesus, only Jesus can do that in our pain and suffering. Now, this is the seventh miraculous sign that Jesus performs in the book of John. Now, it's important to keep in mind that signs pointed to a deeper truth and projected a deeper reality. So with the raising of Lazarus, Jesus points to a time when he will fully reverse the effects of death and fully reverse the curse of sin. So that's what, that's what the sign of Lazarus points to, that one day when Jesus will fully do that for all his children, for all of creation. But it's also important to know. So when Jesus did this and Lazarus comes out of the grave, the religious leaders, they start talking. Like, you see what he did? The same guy who can multiply bread, the same guy who can multiply fish, the, the same guy who can heal the blind, the same guy who can heal the lame, that guy, he just called a dead man out of the grave. We got to stop him. We got to stop him because here's what they reason. You can read the text. If we don't stop him, then everyone will believe. And so in verse 53, here's what we see. So from that day on, what did they do? What did they do? Okay, church, you can't miss this. Don't miss this. The reason why Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave is because he knew by calling him out of the grave, he was sending himself into the grave. He knew it. He knew all things. Remember, he's in control. He knows what's going on. So he knew by doing this that he was signing his death certificate. Church, we have a God. We have a God who enters into our life. He enters into our fray. He enters into our pain and our suffering and our loss. And he calls us out of the grave because he put himself there. Yes. That is the reason why, church, I'm so passionate about Jesus. That's the reason why I want to be a pastor that just calls you to Jesus. In our culture, we have this thing called heroes. And I love heroes. I love, I love DC you know, comics, and I love the Marvel comics, and I love the heroes. But let me tell you something about where our culture has seeped into the church is that we celebrate and we get excited about heroes, but no one is willing to give their life back to Thor. No one's willing to give their life back to Iron Man. No one's willing to worship them. They're like, thank you for saving us. And then they put them back on the sidewalk so that they can go on being human. That's not Jesus. Jesus. 
Jesus is not just a hero. He's our Savior. He's our God. And he is very present with us in our times of need, in our times of hurting, in our times of suffering and loss. And so while we have a host of questions, our Savior has honest answers. Jesus, thank you for being our king, our cosmic king, who did not stay transcendent, but actually became imminent. And thank you for calling us out of the grave and putting yourself there. But we know that you did not stay in the grave. But three days later, you rose from the dead. And as the people of God, we live in light of you fully making all things new. So I do pray that you would anchor our hearts to hope. You would anchor our lives to ultimate comfort that is only found in you. And may our entire lives be reoriented around you and your glory and what you are doing and what you will one day fully do. And it's in your name we pray, amen.
Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. So where, O oh death, is your victory, is what Paul would say. And victory, victory is not in death anymore. And where, O oh death, is your sting? Death has no sting left. The sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Now, the definite article, the victory, the only victory that really matters for human beings is found through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because it's that victory that has eliminated the sting of death. It's that victory that we live in. It's the victory. If I say the victory, it's not a victory, it's the victory. And Jesus is the victor. And because he called us out of the grave, we now get to participate and we get to experience his victory. That's pretty incredible. Which is why, which is why, because we now participate in his victory, that there is no death. That yeah, we pass from this life. Hey, this is what Paul says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the. So that's the thing. Like we, we're looking forward. And everything that we do, and this is why I love the gladiator, because whatever you do now echoes into eternity. It actually does. Because what we do here actually matters in the next. And so here's the thing about Christ be magnified. That is the reason why we want to be a church that just magnifies Jesus. We want to live in him. We want to breathe him. We want to embody him. We want to be his hands. We want to be his feet. We are the body of Christ. We are the very presence of Christ in a dark world who is suffering. And so we can be the light and the salt that communicates Christ's victory, which is why we magnify him one one last song to worship together before we are sent out. So let's sing it. Let's sing it loud and proud. Then from 
Father, that is our prayer this morning, that you, above any other names, would be magnified. God, as we leave this place today and we lean back into the world, as we walk into situations in people's lives, may they see the victory that's been claimed here today in us. May they see Jesus in us. May we walk empowered with your power. May our lives reflect forgiveness through the blood of Jesus on the cross. God, may our steps be guided and guarded by the leadership of your Holy Spirit this week. And when the world sees us, they see victory. They see Christ magnified in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, Northland, I need you to do something with me this week as we go. On your way out, you're gonna get an opportunity to pick up one of these cards. This was such an incredible connection point for us last year. It was an empowering moment for you as a congregation to be praying for our students as they walk back onto their campuses this next week. And so I ask you to do that again today. Pick up one of these cards. It was a great connection point because during the course of the year, many of you came up to me and said, hey Rob, I was praying for this student. What's, what's going on now? And, I, and if I knew, I, I could, I could kind of redirect your prayers more specifically. I'd love for you to be able to do that again. I'd love for you to, to partner with us and let's pray for them as they go on to one of the greatest mission fields right here in North America. So do that, pick that up as you leave here today. It's great. And speaking of back to school, don't forget about our back to school drive that we're collecting for in the foyer. So if you brought your supplies with you today, feel free to drop those in the bins outside as you leave. And if you happen to forget it, not a problem. We're collecting throughout the week. So if you think about it, um, please feel free to pick something up and donate throughout the week. 
Absolutely. And hey, if you're joining us online or you're here today, we would love to partner with you and, and connect with you. If there's something going on in your life that you need prayer for, we would love to pray, pray with you. And so there will be people here at the end of the service that would love to just, just pray with you, to know your name, to know that you're not alone with whatever it is you're walking through. So let us join you in that. So would you open your hands to receive this benediction from Psalms 34. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Amen. We'll see you next week.